Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Well, good morning, Grace. Wonderful to be with you this morning. Mark is bringing a little chair out for me, just in case I decide to sit down over there. I'm a little fatigued this morning. Please be patient with me. My doctor asked me to give up caffeine a week ago, and I have, and it's quite a shock to my system, I have to say. But I am excited to be with you, and that's just in case I decide I feel like I'm going to fall over, and I can sit and um, talk to you that way. Would you be kind enough to join me as I pray? Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness today. We are your people. You are our God. We ask now, Lord, that you would come and quiet our spirits before you like a weaned child leaning against its mother's chest. May our souls be like a weaned child, Lord God. Father, I confess to you my weakness. I feel anxiety this morning. I feel fatigue. I don't feel like I have anything to offer. And Lord, I don't. But you do. So I come before you to acknowledge that you are my strength and my weakness and that your grace is sufficient for me and for us. For your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, I am especially aware of my weakness this morning. So I ask in the name of Jesus that you would speak through me strong and bold, for you are good and faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to try and sit over here for a little while. Many of you know that I've had a struggle with anxiety most of my life, and some of that's coming to me this morning. So I just want to be honest with you, that's where I am. Um... I am excited to be with you, but I'm tired. I'm tired. We've had a lot of stressors of late in our family, and uh, we've been navigating those only by the grace of God. Um, but I do have a message prepared for you this morning. So I'm praying that you'll stick with me, and maybe a couple extra amens this morning could encourage my soul. Can I hear one now? Amen. All right, good. So we're um, capping our series today called The Advent Conspiracy. If you've been with us, you know. It's been four weeks, and we've worked through four basic ideas which we want to apply to the season of Advent this year. The first one is to worship fully. The second one is to spend less. The third one is to give more. And today I'm going to talk about loving all. So the scripture says in Romans 12:1 that in light of God's mercy we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God which is our true act of spiritual worship we are no longer to be conformed to the patterns of this world but instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good perfect and pleasing will so I want to focus right now on not being conformed to the patterns of this world. The patterns of this world come to us very easily. You don't have to go looking for lies. They come to you. They come to me. 
And those lies will always create bondage in our lives. And so the whole idea behind the Advent conspiracy is that we have bought some lies about what Christmas is truly all about. And I don't know about you, but there's been many years where I've missed the truth of Christmas and I've kind of forgotten, oh my gosh, this is about the incarnation of God himself and the person of Jesus Christ. And so to conspire with God during this season means that we are to turn from being conformed to the patterns of this world and instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To conspire is to act in harmony towards a good or common end. So we're supposed to conspire with God in everything we do. Not just Christmas, but in everything we do. Well, today we get to talk about love. Remember, worship fully, say them out loud with me. Worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. So we're going to talk today about love. And I have to communicate to you, this is probably the most abused language, word in the English language. We use this for all kinds of things. Um, you can say to your wife, honey, I love you. Oops, sorry. Wow, that was loud. Did I scare you? I'm sorry, Pat. <laughs> I'm sorry. Kind of hit that. You can say, honey, I love you. And in the next sentence, you can say, boy, I love these hot dogs. Now, I hope they mean different things. But we use this word in all kinds of way in the English language. And you realize in the Greek, there were at least three words for the word love. Agape, phileo, and irosh. So I've done some research on these words, and I'm not going to go into that today. But I wanted to find love for you from the scripture. Would you be kind enough to read this out loud with me? This is how we know what love is. So you don't go to Webster's to define words. You go to the scripture, to the word of God. And this word's pretty clear. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Love requires sacrifice. Say that. Say it a little more enthusiastically, please. Love Love is not a feeling. It's an action. I just love my new dog. I just love, no, 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 those are feelings. You can say I'm infatuated. I feel good when I'm around you. I'm happy now. Those are feeling words. But love, it's a verb, man. It's an action word. For those who didn't pass grammar, that's what a verb is, an action word. So the scripture says, how can we say we love God? And not show pity on a sister or a brother in need. That's a pretty powerful word. That's a word that we should allow to go deep. So we wanted to find love in doing what is best for another, regardless of cost to self. 
It's an idea of sacrificing. It's an action. It's a way that we act in the best interest of other people. And Jesus Christ defined it for us by laying down his very life for us. So today, we're going to look at a story of love. And the story of love is a very popular story called the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many people have heard it before? Show of hands. Okay, so I'm going to read through the story, and I'm going to actually extrapolate a little bit, extrapolate a little bit as I read, and then we're going to talk through the story today. On one occasion, an expert in the law, now you should circle that, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah, I apologize. This is Luke 10, 25 through 37, if you want to turn there. Now, Jesus, being this master at understanding people's hearts, he often asks, answers a question with a question. So he says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Now, he's talking as this itinerant rabbi to a teacher of the law, to someone who's a lawyer. And he's saying to him, what is your yoke? You gotta understand a yoke for a rabbi or a yoke for a legal time was how they interpreted the law. So when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, which I have been this morning, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is saying, take my interpretation of the law upon you, for it is gentle and it is light. You see, Jesus Christ does not want us to be burdened in this life. He wants us to walk with him in lightness. So he's saying to this legal person, he's saying, what's your yoke, dude? How do you read it? How do you interpret the law? He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, you got to understand what Jesus is doing here. He's preaching the law. He's coming to this guy and he's saying, oh, you answered exactly right. You want to have eternal life? Well, go ahead and love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, do that and you'll live. Now, Jesus knows this. This guy can't do that. Neither can any one of us. And Jesus is preaching the law here. Why? He wants to bring this fella to his knees. You see... He's preaching the law here so that this guy might receive the good news of Jesus and acknowledge that he's busted. Listen to these words from Romans 3. Now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. When the law comes to us, the law comes to kill. Why? Because it shows us in a mirror that we are busted. Can you say this after me? I am so busted. Now, I don't know how often you acknowledge before God that you are busted, but that's called humility. In the scripture. 
And it is not an option before God. It is a cornerstone of the way that you are to relate to him. He is God and you are not. He is God and I am not. And my ways are not his ways, neither my thoughts his thoughts, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how far his ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. How many of you have problems with your thought life? That's because they're your thoughts, not God's thoughts. But see, this guy now has an opportunity. Jesus says to him, well, you answered right. Do this. And you'll live. Now, this guy knew who he was talking to and truly understand the question of him. And he really understood his true condition. He could have fallen on his face right there before Jesus at that point in time and said, Lord, I can't. I can't do it. I can't love the Lord God with all my heart. I can't love my neighbor as me. I can't, Lord, no matter how hard I try, I can't do it. God. I need your help. God, I need a savior. You see, this guy had an opportunity to humble himself before the Lord, that the Lord might lift him up. You see, if he had done this, Jesus might have said, I am here. And he might have said, believe in me and you will have eternal life that you're longing for. I'm going to go on in verse 21 in in Romans. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This is the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Say that after me. To all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Now, justified means this. You are made just as if you've never sinned. Justified. It's a a religious term. It's a theological term. But if you really want to know what it means, it means that you are made before God pure and righteous. You are justified. That means you are made just as if you've never sinned. When God sees you in Christ Jesus, he goes, oh, it's just as if you've never sinned. That's hard for us to believe. But that's the righteousness of God. So it's interesting in this verse that it says you're justified freely by the grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. But let's just jump to the story, back to the story. After Jesus says this, and he asks him this question, and he says, well, do this and you will live. Verse 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. Now, let me ask you a question. I want you to do a little inventory for me. This is always a fun thing to do. Take a week, take a day, and see how much you say to justify yourself. Say how much you say to defend yourself. See how much you say to make yourself look better than it truly is. You see, this guy didn't want to really own his own stuff. He wanted to justify himself. Now look, all of us try and do this, but can I tell you something? If you are in Christ Jesus, you no longer have to justify yourself. You have a justifier in heaven. And he died for you and he washed you of all your sins, past, present, and future. You are not under law. You are now under grace. 
You see, Christianity is not about following a bunch of rules. It's about a relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Jesus spilled for us. And that means you're free. Free indeed. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor anyway? (laughs) Well, if you want me to love my neighbor, I need to know who my neighbor is. And in true Jesus style, he tells the guy a story. I love Jesus. He's an amazing storyteller. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Stop. This was a very dangerous tract of land. This was a, a road that was known for robbers and bandits and bad guys. This man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That has some significance. We might talk about that in a little while. But he got beat up. They stripped of his clothing. They left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. He saw him, but he just kept going. 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan stopped. Jesus is talking to Jews. Jews hate Samaritans. So Jesus is super good at messing us up. And he's going to mess these guys up really good right now by making a Samaritan the hero of the story. We know through extensive research, and I've researched this a bunch, that the guy that was beat up was a Jew. We know that. It's not here, but we know it. And we know he was a Jew. So this Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have had. Verse 36, Jesus asks the the expert in the law a question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go. And do likewise. Now listen, there's some interpretations of this parable that I think are very very powerful. And when I share these with you, I want you to know that I can't say for sure that the text proves them. But what I can say for sure is the principles are in line with the word of God. Here's the first thing. Jesus chose a Levite and a priest for a reason. The Levite represented the law, and the priest represents religion. So I want you to think about it that way. One interpretation, which is very common, believes that Jesus was telling a story of us. We're the guy beat up, half dead, on the side of the road. And we're coming down from the man of Adam, dead in our sins, The law is powerless to save us, and religion is powerless to save us. They just walk on by. 
But along comes our good Samaritan. His name is Jesus Christ. And he truly is the hero of every story in the scripture. Now think about it. He comes along and he picks us up. He bandages our wounds. He clothes us in righteousness. He puts us on a donkey, his donkey, and he carries us to the inn. Most people interpret the inn as the church of Jesus Christ. He also promises he's going to return. You know who's going to return, don't you? Jesus Christ himself. And he offers rewards to those of us who actually move in his kingdom spirit when he returns. So you have to understand, there's a lot to this story that we can look at together. But we as the church of Jesus Christ are supposed to be this place where wounded people can come in. And wounded people can find help. And a place where it's okay not to be okay. How many of you have not been okay in the last week? How many of you have really not been okay in the last year? This has been an exhausting year. Um, For us in church leadership, it's been beyond exhausting. And there's been plenty of times that I come in, I sit in an elders meeting, and I sit in a senior leadership team meeting, and I'm not okay. If we have to talk about COVID one more time, I think I'm going to barf. But it's real. It's real. It's something that's real out there. I I loved Pastor Ben's email this week. Anybody get that email? Did you love that email? Just give a round of applause for Jesus and Pastor Ben. Now, some of you are like, I ain't clapping for that. It's okay. We understand. Like, you're, you're welcome here. There's all kinds of opinions. But hearing those opinions, i got to be honest, over and over and over again, they sometimes weigh on my soul. I don't know what weighs on your soul, but I do know this. Jesus Christ wants to live that weight off of you. I'm in the process of trusting him right now with the weight in my life. But I want you to remember three things. The weight of this world, the ways of this world, and the worries of this world will not produce in you a peace-filled life that God longs for you to have. The weight, the ways, and the worries of the world you were never intended to carry. Your soul is not strong and big enough to carry the weight and the ways and the worries of the world. That is for Jesus himself. And we're able to turn it over to him. Then we come alive in him. So I want to point out some things about Jesus. And I want us to understand that these are true of the Good Samaritan. And they are supposed to be true of us in Christ Jesus as we follow our Lord and Savior. So this guy, he opened his schedule. Um, Jesus Christ was never in a hurry. Do you realize that? I I love this guy. He's got this benevolent detachment thing going on. It's just outstanding. At one point, his disciples are looking everywhere for him. They go and they find him praying. And they go, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. And he goes, we need to go on to another town now. Isn't that radically freeing? Just to be able to say to everybody, hey, they want you over there. Now I'm moving on. 
You see, he wanted to follow the Father alone. And he, he was never in a hurry. Listen to this, this story. The, but the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And he saw him. And he took pity on him. I'm going to read from Exodus 3, 2 and 4 as well. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. This last sentence is very, very important. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. You got to understand the sequence of events here. The angel caused the bush to burn. It was a miracle. Moses saw it and he said, I wonder what's going on over there. And he walked toward it. This guy saw this guy in a ditch. The Samaritan saw this guy in a ditch and he walked toward him. God said he noticed that Moses went towards the bush and then he spoke. How many of you want to hear from God? You got to identify the burning bushes, man. And I'm telling you, they're around you every day. They're around me every day. Can I tell you, you are around wounded and beat up people every day. Do you know that? I mean, I'm also believing that there are burning bushes around every corner in these people. So where are the wounded and the beat up burning bushes? They're in the Walmart. They're in the grocery store, in the department store. They're in your place of work. And they're actually in your home. You see, each of these people that you encounter is an opportunity for a life-giving exchange with the living God. But the question is, are you going toward them? Are you even paying attention? Is there even room in your schedule? You're like, Jeff, how do I miss these people and these opportunities? Well, I'm glad that you asked. I believe there are several reasons why we miss these opportunities for a divine encounter through others. Here's the first one, we're too busy. And here's the second one, we're too distracted. If I could say something to the body of Christ, and I will because at least you're part of the body of Christ, that I think that both COVID and the election have done to us is that they have distracted us from our primary and sole goal to love and glorify God in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have watched more Fox News than you have read your Bibles? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have been more concerned about the election than you have about God being glorified in your life? How many of you have hemmed and hawed more about COVID and the restrictions that seem to come and go and come and go than you have praised God? Look, There's a proper ordering in our lives. And the enemy's number one goal is to keep you first and foremost from Jesus Christ. But if he can't keep you from Jesus Christ, then you've actually been accepted by God into his family and you will live with him forever. But here on planet Earth, Satan's number one strategy after you've extreved Christ is to keep you distracted. Because then you will not be effective for the cause of Christ. If we want to be effective for Jesus, we need to slow down. 
And I'm talking to me too. Guys, there's a reason why caffeine is affecting me when I got off of it. That's a confession. I like how I feel when I drink coffee. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, I wake up and I'm just like slobbering on myself. And I go get a cup of coffee and I'm like, wow, man, I can do stuff. But I took it away and I realized, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to go this fast. You understand? You have to slow down because real life happens in the interruptions of your schedule. How many of you like when you're interrupted doing something? Can I tell you something? God interrupts us all the time. Because we're on our little mission. How many of you go into stores? Just raise your hands if you go into a store of any kind, of grocery store, department store. How many of you go to work? You go to a workplace? How many of you live with other people? All right, now, why do you do those things? Why do you go into a store? Why do you go to work? And why do you live with other people? You might say, well, I go to a store to buy stuff, Pastor Jeff. That's a stupid question. I go to work to work so I can make money. And I live with other people, I don't really know why sometimes. I guess because I love them. Okay, so if those are your answers, you go to stores to buy stuff, you're absolutely wrong. If, you, if your answer was you go to work just to work, you're absolutely wrong. You're, you're, miss, you're off mission, man. You're missing the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. You are an ambassador for the Most High God. And God has called you to actually be on mission. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us. You are compelled by God's love to go to Walmart. You're not compelled because you need toothpaste. You're compelled by God's love to go to work. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And we died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, for the bucks and the beers but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we no longer regard anyone, any person from a worldly point of view. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. Listen to me, you go nowhere by accident. And God is longing to make his appeal through you to other people wherever you go. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Matthew 5.6, In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Everywhere you go is intentional. And you are in mission for the cause of the king. But you have to slow down enough to realize and accept your mission. And to see the opportunities that God places in your path. Opportunities to be an ambassador for the king of kings and the lord of love. Because this world is desperate for love. Anybody say amen to that? Some of you might be saying, I don't have enough of that myself. I understand. 
But can I tell you something? You start giving it away and it starts coming back to you. That's the law of love. You got to pour it out to be filled. I can tell you I'm feeling a whole lot different right now than I was 10, 15 minutes ago. Why? Because God's pouring it out. He's pouring it out through me. And now I'm feeling like I have life returning to me. We'll talk more about that in a second. Thank you. God bless you both. So he didn't just stop. He didn't just open his schedule. He didn't just see the burning bush. He opened his eyes. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The good Samaritan looked, stopped long enough to look at this man, but he also saw his pain and his desperate need for someone to help him. You see people like this every day, but often we're just so consumed with our own pain that we miss it. I want to be honest with you, most of us don't want to see other people's pains. Why do you think we created beltways? It's not just to save time, folks. It's to not drive through neighborhoods of poverty. When you drive through neighborhoods of poverty, it's hard. Can I tell you, I lived in neighborhoods of poverty. I've lived in Baltimore for a lot of years. I learned to love Baltimore. You know why? You couldn't step off your doorstep without acknowledging the depravity of man. In the suburbs, it's great. Everybody kind of paints their white picket fences and they have their two and a half kids and their house is, you know, neatly aluminum sided and everything looks like it's pretty on the outside, but on the inside, whew, right? The cool part about the city is the outside matches up with the insides. It's a train wreck. And that's what humanity without Christ is, a train wreck filled with death and deception and darkness. Do you understand? We, we make beltways so we don't have to drive through that stuff. We want to avoid seeing the pain of poverty. Whether it's actual real physical poverty or whether it's spiritual poverty or emotional poverty. We're so consumed with our own pain. I want to urge you again to realize though that when you give it away it comes back to you. Carl Jung, he was a famous psychologist. He wasn't a great theologian. Believe me, the guy, guy's a... I don't know. But, but I always remark, all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. So sometimes these people say things, I'm like, you don't even know Jesus, and you just said that. He said one of the best things you can do when you're ready to have a nervous breakdown is run outside your help, house and go do something for your neighbor. Because it takes you, the focus, off of your pain. Don't think that somehow you have to get it all together before you help others. That's a lie. Whatever measure of love and grace God has given to you, that's the measure that you have to give away. What happens, it returns five and tenfold. Don't get me wrong, there are times where we need to sit with Jesus and feel our pain. There's times where we need to sit down and grieve. There's times where we need to have friends alongside of us to hold us when we cry. I've had plenty of those times. But, but we have to understand that the more we focus on our pain at times, the bigger it becomes, the more myopic we become on it. So we focus our eyes on the Lord and on the opportunities that he sets before us to love all those around us all the time. But we need to see the people around us as broken people, just like us, desperately in need of God's love. And that means you need to lift your eyes from being a consumer to being an ambassador. How many of you do yard sailing? 
There's like three of us. No, okay, there's more. Okay. All right, so yard sailing. I was in my old yard sailor. My dad and my mom were yard sailors. We had competitions at yard sailors. Oh, what'd you get? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but you know what I have to remind myself? I go to a yard sale, and where do you think my eyes are right away? On the tables. On the stuff. Whether it's laid out on the lawn or laid out on tables. I'm looking for stuff, man. And then Jesus just taps me on the shoulder and he says, Psst, there's people here. There's people here to love. And you're not here for stuff. You're here to love people. At the Walmart, aren't you just focused on getting the heck out of that place? But did you think there's opportunities in the aisles and at the checkouts to actually raise your eyes to something higher, which is people who need to know the love of God? How about the breakfast table? So many of us are buried in our coffee and our paper or whatever it might be that we don't even raise our eyes to look and see there's people here. And those people need love. They need encouragement. They need you to be there for them. This doesn't mean you carry the pain of the world on your back. Only Jesus can do that. This doesn't mean you carry the weight and the worries of the world on your back. Only Jesus can do that. But you are an ambassador for him. And you bring to others the heart of God. Listen to Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This word pity is really compassion. And compassion means to suffer with. You suffer with. Now look, it doesn't mean you enter into someone's depression and despair and you stay there with them. That doesn't help anybody. I've had plenty of experience doing that, folks. And can I tell you, that just drags you down right with them. So you have to be able to enter in, but you have to be able to run back to Jesus. That's called benevolent detachment or loving detachment. You have to learn to detach from people's pain. Some of us in here, I'm talking right now, I'm talking about loving other people and getting in their pain. And your whole life has been getting into other people's pain. You need a whole different message. You need a message that's going to pull you out of that pain so you can actually understand the love and life of Jesus Christ and start focusing on your own stuff because there's a reason you're in somebody else's yard all the time. Reason is most of the time you don't want to tend to your own. That's called codependency. It's just a fancy word for idolatry. You're just making somebody else God in your life. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Do you know how many harassed, harried, and seemingly helpless people there are in our culture? There are millions. There are millions. Pastor, I can't focus on it. It's overwhelming. There's just too much. I'm with you. Look, I pastor a large church. It's overwhelming. It's too much. I want to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was an old man who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of walking on the beach every morning before he began his work. Every morning, as he was walking along the shore, actually one morning, I'm sorry, early one morning, he was walking along the shore after a big storm had passed, and he found the vast beach littered with starfish as far as the eye could see, stretching in both directions. Off in the distance, the old man noticed a small boy approaching. As the boy walked... He paused ever so often, and as he grew closer, the man could see that he would occasionally bend down, pick up something, and throw it into the sea. The boy came closer still, and the man called out, Good morning, may I ask what you're doing? The young boy paused, he looked up, and he replied, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean. The tide has washed them up on the beach, 
And they can't return to the sea by themselves, the youth replied. When the sun gets high, they will die unless I throw them back into the water. The old man replied, but there must be tens of thousands of starfish on this beach. I'm afraid you really won't be able to make much of a difference. But the boy bent down, picked up yet another starfish and threw it as far as he could into the ocean. He turned, he smiled, and he said, made a difference to that one. That's how we work together. You see, you have a little metron. You have a little place that God has made for you to love and care for all around you. And it doesn't have to be a million people. It can't be. It doesn't have to be a thousand people. It can't be. It can be just a few. But if we work together, Jesus will work through us. You see, we're his vast army. And when you love one, it makes a difference for that one. And when you make a difference for that one, then that one's ready to make a difference for another. And as more and more come to Christ and understand what it means to enter into his kingdom and to glorify God, then God grows his church. And we trust him one person at a time to use us in the lives of other people. We don't give way to despair or depression with them because that's no good for anyone, but we slow down. We actually see their pain. We allow their pain to touch us. Because this guy not only opened his schedule and his eyes, but he opened his heart. That means that you feel something with people. Can I tell you something? I've, I've been blessed to help people throughout my life, throughout my, especially my pastoral. I sit with a lot of people and I listen to their pain. I work hard at not trying to take too much of it on, but being with them in it. It's hard for me, i got to be honest with you. I used to think I was a professional counselor. I was in counseling for years. And my friends that are professional counselors could see 30 clients a week. I could see about three. I just take too much on. And so I can listen, I enter into pain, but it's hard for me to back out. So I have to have to practice that a bunch to back out of the pain. But, but you have to understand here that there are people who want us to feel with them. And one of the best gifts I can give to anybody, can I tell you, among my friends and among those I've sat down with, one of the best gifts I give them is to cry with them. I don't always know what to say. How many of you, when you're with someone who's struggling, struggle with what to say? You go, I don't know what to say. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. Don't try too hard. It messes things up. Just be with them. And if you feel with them, can I tell you, I've had buddies cry with me. It's one of the guest gifts they've ever given me. I can flash back on a time where my friend Ted, after the stroke I had, he sat and wept with me. I'll never forget that. He didn't have to say a word. I've sat with that precious woman over there countless times when she weeps with me. I'll never forget those times. Why? That means my pain touched their pain. It felt with me. So we feel with people and we also open our hands. Look, so he opened his schedule, he opened his heart, he opened his um, something else, his, you know, and then he opened his hands. Um, so <laughs> he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. This guy didn't stop at seeing his pain. It wasn't like a rubbernecker. Everybody slows down on the highway, Right? See a, tra- a, tra- a wreck, a car wreck, and you're like, oh, what happened there? Everybody's slowing down. How many people stop? 
You see, this guy stopped. He actually stopped and he helped. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey. He brought him to the inn to take care of him. The guy didn't stop at seeing his pain. He did something. There's literally an infinite number of ways you can show love to someone. And Pastor Mark did an excellent job last week in his message. But he, he covered the five love languages. And I just want to reiterate them to you. They're quality time, physical touch, gifts, acts of service, and words of affirmation. Quality time. Some people love it when you spend time with them. Physical touch. Some people love to be touched. That's my primary language. Don't touch me, though, okay? (laughs) Gifts. Some people love gifts. Some people love acts of service when you do something. And some people just really want to be affirmed with your words. But all of us want all of these. And at the same time, you usually have one primary one. That's what Pastor Mark said last week. So the question is, do you know what your primary one is? But realize your primary one's not the same as the people around you. You need to learn to love them. But you know how many people are just hungry for one word of encouragement? I uh, checked out with Tracy, I guess it was a week ago, at the Walmart. And uh, there was a guy who was checking us out. There was a long line. God bless those checkers, man. Whew. Everybody expects to get out like this. And there's like 100 million items that they're checking out every day, right? So this guy looked physically like he was in distress. And he's checking me out. And I said, uh, I noticed. I saw it. I saw his struggle. And I said, are they beating you up pretty good today? And he said, yeah, man. He said, this is crazy. He said, I typically don't work here. He said, I am just so consumed with anxiety right now. That's something I know about. And I said, man, I'm really sorry. I said, "Uh, you're doing a great job. I said, don't let them get to you, man. Those are called words of affirmation. You're doing a great job. Don't let them get to you. That's called a word of encouragement. You infuse somebody with courage, right? Don't let them get to you, man. He said, hey, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. And um, I said, well, you getting off soon? We had a little conversation. He said, man, I can't wait. It's about an hour and a half. And so I said, look, I want to say a prayer for you that you have peace and that you get off faster than it just that time goes really. And he looked up in my eyes and he said, hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. Now, look, you may think that that's nothing. That's huge to someone. How many of you stop when you're through the checkout and affirm the checker? How many of you encourage that person? How many of you see it, the eyes of people around you all the time, that they're longing for some word to know that God loves them? Take the opportunities, man. They are there They are rife. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You've got to understand something. When when somebody comes to Christ, it's a team. It's not not one person. It's a team. Do you realize the vast majority of people need like 50 or 60 touches from Christ followers before they come to Christ? You don't just celebrate the closing. You're, You're a link in the chain, man. You celebrate every link, every step forward. You make a deposit. I have a feeling that guy might remember me. I don't think anybody else stopped in there and prayed for him. I don't think anybody else said stuff like that. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm hoping there were a lot more. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if we mobilized an effort and all of us got in line in Walmart at the same time? <laughs> That's kind of a neat idea, isn't it, Spark? Just mobilize 400 of us, and we'll each like 25 get in a line, and then we'll just go through and affirm and encourage and pray for people. That just sounds like it's nuts enough to be like the kingdom of God. So this guy not only opened his hands, but he opened his purse. 
The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Love always comes at a cost. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. This is time for us to take communion together. So if you'd be willing to take out your communion cups, this is the time. If you don't have one, I'm pretty sure you can raise your hand and someone will get you one. Got one up here, one up here. Mostly on the right side. The truth of the matter is that most of us don't love because we don't want to pay the cost. And yet, the scripture says um, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Do you understand something? That Jesus Christ paid the ultimate cost for you. He gave his life for you and he shed his blood for you that you actually now are invited back into the very near presence of God. You are now the tabernacle of God. Jesus, as he gathered with his disciples, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Take this with an awareness of the price that God paid to buy you back and to forgive you of all your sins. Scripture records in the same way that Jesus took a cup with some wine in it. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ that you and I have been washed free from all of our sins. Justified before a holy God. Take this with an awareness of what it symbolizes. And with an awareness of the price that Jesus paid for you. Lord, we thank you so much for your willingness to show us what love is and for your willingness to pay the price for us that we now can share your glory. But Lord, if we share your glory, we're also going to share in your sufferings, which means there's sacrifice for us to make. It's really nothing in comparison to the sacrifice that you made for us. But we bow down before you, Lord God, and we ask now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hands to discern, hearts to feel, Lord God. You'd help us to understand that all our money is truly your money anyway. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, it's all God's money anyway. So this guy opens up his purse and he pays for this guy to actually stay in the inn. And we're supposed to use God's money to actually usher others into the kingdom and to meet the needs of others. I looked into the scriptures on meeting the needs of the needy and the poor this week. There were over a hundred scriptures that I found personally having to do with caring for the poor and the needy. That's what you call a preponderance of scripture. That means there's no doubt in your mind. When you're, when you're a theologian, you're parsing words. You look at the preponderance of the whole scripture. You have to look to the whole Bible to see, does it really agree? 
Well, nobody would disagree biblically that we're called to care for the poor and the needy. No one would disagree with that. If you disagree with that, you got to read your Bible. Okay, it's all over the place. We want you to understand something here at Grace, that every time you give here, whether you're giving online, you give in person, whatever it might be, your giving goes to help the least of these all around the world. We'll start here with the Dream Center because that's the most obvious. We know that the poor and needy are here all the time at the Dream Center because by the grace of God, he gave us a shopping center. Crazy. I was talking to somebody recently about the church and they were asking about coming to it. And I said, well, we have a shopping center. They're like, a shopping center? I said, yeah, we have a whole strip of shopping. And she said, you mean the church owns the whole strip? I'm like, yes, the church owns the shopping center. She says, like, well, what are you doing with it? And I'm like, do you have like several hours? Can I tell you how beautiful it is? Can I tell you how beautiful it is to go sit in the community closet and watch that team of, of incredible women love each other but love others by providing clothing and housewares in the name of Jesus? How about the harvest, providing all those meals and all that food through the pantry and that beautiful bakery? How many people love Patty's bread? Come on. It's amazing. The Lord's gym and the way people are ushered in. This is all free to those who need it to be adoptable ministering to neighborhoods in New York. We own a house up in New York for crying out loud, right? This is a miracle of God. And when you give, your giving goes to making all that happen. But that's not where it stops. Many of you don't know that we have partners at Grace that we financially support. We call these ministry partners, and I'm going to go through some of them. Here's the first one, compassion. How many of you sponsor a compassion child? Would you please stand? Stand. If you, if you sponsor a compassion child, isn't that beautiful? Can we just applaud? So Tracy and I have three kids that we sponsor through Compassion, and we partner with Compassion in a different way by encouraging you all to continue to sponsor children. Samaritan's Purse, same thing, you know, Operation Christmas Child. We participate with these two organizations, not by giving direct financial gifts, but by actually encouraging the body here. Well, we have given some direct financial gifts, but we encourage the body to participate in these. Now, every other ministry you give to through your giving, because we give directly to these ministries. Young Life. Young Life is an amazing organization right here, Matthew Von Stein, director, in this area that reaches young people in the name of Jesus Christ. And they do it in the most incredible and outlandish ways. Anybody ever been around Young Life people? They are definitely a little short on stuff. But they're, they have love of Jesus like you wouldn't believe. So you give to Young Life. You give to the Light of Light Performing Arts. This is an incredible group of dancers that disciple young ladies and girls through dancing in the most powerful ways. You give to First Fruit Farms. Now, First Fruit Farms, over 16.5 million pounds of fruits and vegetables are shared with local food banks, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, and other food providers. These people give away millions of pounds of food every year. And you are part of that. You give to that. You also give to In Him Christian Wellness. This is actually um, a place where counseling is provided, other things are provided, and your giving helps subsidize people who can't afford to get the counseling that they need. You give to New Life Center for Mothers and Children right over here in Glen Rock. You're going to learn more about them in a few minutes, but they're one of our partners. You give to that. You give also to Exodus from Darkness, which is Daniel Shayesta going out into the Muslim world and reaching hundreds of thousands of Muslims for Christ. Christ. He has a goal 
to reach one million Muslims with the gospel. Isn't that amazing? You give to that work. You give to Kingdom Reign. This is our buddy Brian Float, who in his organization, it's in Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, India, and a bunch of other stands. And this is bringing the gospel in powerful ways throughout those lands. You give to New Life Children's Home in Villa Nuevo, Guatemala. You're going to hear a little bit more about that. But not only do we send teams out, but we actually support this ministry, which is a children's home in Guatemala. Do you know every time you give it grace, you are doing this? Got to understand this. In addition to that, you support what we call field workers. Chuck and Sharon Gingrich can't tell you where they are because it's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place to be a Christian. Do you know people are so compelled with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ that they go out to places where they're not allowed to be? This is, this is true of these folks. This is true of Nathan and Christine Beck serving Southeast Asia, the same as Chuck and Sharon, but you give to that work every time you give it grace. And you give to Cliff and Leanne. Now, I can't even use their last names. Can't tell you the organization. Because where they serve, it's not okay. But I can tell you a story. Because your, your giving recently bought food packets to be distributed among these people in Southeast Asia. I'm going to tell you a story from them. Mr. Elder, who's an elderly new believer who enjoys playing his bamboo flute in the middle of his rice field, one day his friend, Mr. Ben, came to visit him and asked him what he was playing. Mr. Elder answered that he was playing a song called Jesus is the Hero, replacing his former God's with Jesus. That's a dangerous thing to do in this country. Another time, Mr. Ben visited Mr. Elder at home, hoping for something to eat. Mr. Elder didn't have any food to give Mr. Ben, but he prayed for God's will to be done. Mr. Ben was feeling sad because he was concerned about the lack of food and that he might lose his friend to starvation. That afternoon, the house church leader came to visit Mr. Elder and he brought a food relief packet just like the ones that you're buying, that they distribute. This could have even been one, I don't know. Mr. Ben was surprised because the Lord Jesus knew that Mr. Elder needed food, and he provided the food, and he asked, why doesn't my God know what I need? That's called an open door. The house church leader shared about Jesus, and Mr. Ben believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior that day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Look, you got to understand, like when you give to the kingdom of God intentionally, this is what's happening. And we wanted to make you aware that all of these partners are actually people that God has called us to partner with. I also want to show you now in way of closing, and I know we're running a little bit behind, so I'm not going to ask the worship team to come back out, but I want to show you this little video that puts in place uh, what we're thinking might be a tradition for us the Christmas offering at Grace. We want to invite you to participate with us in giving over and above your regular giving to two missions. One local, that's the New Life uh, Home for Women and Children, or Mothers and Children, that's right here in Glenrock, and the other one is to New Life Children's Home in Guatemala. We want to raise $25,000 in the next couple months. Now look, folks, I ask you to cough up pocket change one day and we gave a pizza dude a thousand dollar tip. Do you remember that? How many of you remember that? Wasn't that awesome, right? So if we can give a thousand dollar tip to a pizza pizza dude just out of our pockets, $25,000 shouldn't be much for us together because we give 
together. What we're going to be looking to do is buy solar panels to provide hot water and hot showers to the children's home in Guatemala. And we're going to be, part of that that $25,000, we're going to get to put a new driveway into uh, the Glen Rock Center for Mothers and Children. Take a look at the video. for your generous donation to help us uh, with our solar panels to uh, provide uh, hot water for the uh, home units. We are thankful it takes um, so many people to help and it reminds us of what the word says about the body of Christ. Some uh, have, are the legs and feet, other are the arms. and uh, So thank you for joining with us to help take good care of these kiddos and um, to show them the love of Christ even with hot water. It's like a cup of cold water. Well, this is going to be a shower of hot water. Thank you for the sodas and panels and thank you for the hot showers. I love the hot showers. Thank you. My name is Rachel Stahl, and I'm the director of a local ministry here right in your own town by the name of New Life Center for Mothers and Children. New Life for Mothers and Children takes in uh, women and their children, women who have struggled with drug abuse, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, anything that has brought them to a place of brokenness. And we teach them biblical principles, we disciple them, we counsel them, we love on them. And our goal here is that when they come here, that they continue to remain in the covering of the ministry and supported as they continue on in their journey. Our women are leaving here strong, godly women and knowing who they are in Christ and having every resource that is available to them so that we can help them with their their success in their transition. There are many, many ways that you can partner with us, whether it's with the driveway project or coming alongside of us, um, volunteering or um, mentoring one of our women. We're just excited for that. And I just want to say one more time, thank you, Grace Fellowship, for all that you have done for us and all that you're going to do in the future of our relationship together. God bless. So that's what we're being challenged with um, over the next few weeks to raise $25,000 to help these two ministries. Yep, for the uh, challenge? Yeah. Last thing I want to announce before I let you go today and I pray for us is that starting next week, we will have in our cafe a fair trade Christmas shop. We wanted to bring it to you. What we've talked about before is what you do spend on Christmas presents, you can buy intentionally to make a difference in the life of someone who lives in poverty. Tracy and I began to do this last year, and I think it forever will change the way we do Christmas. So we're partnering with Rafiki to bring in fair trade coffee and all kinds of beautiful things. Voice of the Martyrs will have t-shirts and things like that. Watoto will have some beautiful necklaces from them. And then probably some other organizations that will be set up out here for you to shop for Christmas presents so that you can benefit someone in the third world who has maybe lives on 20 cents a day, okay?
So look out for that. There are the times up there and the dates that we'll be together. Let's um, close our time together in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a master storyteller. God, we ask that you would help us now to take the time that you've provided to stop. Give us eyes to see and hearts to feel, hands to help, and help us to know, Lord God, that the money you've given us is ours to give to your cause. We acknowledge all these gifts are from you, and we ask that you would help us most of all to live our lives in such a way that people would see us, they would encounter you, and that you would be glorified right here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. God bless you, Grace Fellowship Church. Have a wonderful day. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.